I've just spent a year and a half, two years of my life working day and night, investing my entire life savings, literally not earning a dime from this project. And this guy decides he can't handle the pressure. I turned 50, y'all, and I started a podcast. Really, age is just a number. It comes down to how we choose to live and the choices we make in our life and those things accumulate. Don't let the programming of life keep you from doing things every single day that, that make you happy. When we feel good, it's easy to think good. Life is not happening to you. You are your life. You are happening to your life. Hi, and welcome to the podcast. In this episode, I am doing the second in a series on business, entrepreneurship, and the pursuit of residual and passive income. In this second installment, um, I am going to take you from where we left off in my career developing outpatient surgery centers to starting my own company, the rise and fall of that company, and um, the next company that restored my faith in entrepreneurship. So we last left off talking about how I was developing outpatient surgeries um, for a company that my dad started with some surgeon partners, and I had gained the ability to develop my own surgery centers across the country and participate in ownership in those surgery centers, thereby Um, getting my first taste of true passive residual income as an owner in a company. And after I had done that for a couple of years, I really decided I wanted to focus on something that was passionate to me and develop my own business plan. At the time, I was about 35, 36, 37-ish. And for any of you who have reached that age, you know that That's when our body a lot of times starts to let us know that it needs some attention, Um, that we can no longer kind of continue kind of our uh, autopilot lifestyle and without any repercussions or ramifications. Now, I was definitely already starting to pay attention to my physical self. I had become interested in yoga and was practicing yoga regularly. And I had also begun weightlifting um, through an awesome program called um, Les Mills Body Pump. I don't know. Shout out to shout out to all the body pumpers out there. And, um, you know, mostly though, I was interested in those things, you know, just for like physical appearance. I wasn't really focused so much so on my internal health. And I found myself living in St. Louis, Missouri, developing outpatient surgery centers, you know, working so hard, you know, 60, 70, 80 hours a week um, with a full-time job and also as an entrepreneur developing my own surgery centers. And all of a sudden, I realized, you know, being born and raised in California and moving to St. Louis, I, I was like, oh my gosh, like where, where, where's the Whole Foods? Where's the fresh food? Where's the yoga studio? Where's, you know, you know, my access to kind of alternative medicine? I mean, not that I was like super into alternative medicine, but I just quickly realized when I moved to St. Louis at the time that I had a, a much less access 
to to focusing on my health. So I found myself um, with kind of a gastrointestinal, you know, problem. Um, so much so that I sought out to, to, you know, a doctor, which I, you know, I never went to the doctor. So, but I did. I went and saw a GI specialist, and I said, you know, I'm just my my you know digestive system is way out of whack you know i've got these symptoms and i'm really concerned and so the doctor did a bunch of different testing and um i think they might have suspected i had celiac disease or something i don't know and did all this testing and came back and the doctor said you know we, we nothing came up on the test you're fine you know not really sure what, what's going on and I said, you know, I, I'm really not fine. I, I'm still experiencing these symptoms and, you know, what can be done? And and I they just I just remember feeling really lost and like the doctor wasn't giving me a good sense of direction or hope of what I could do. So I, you know, did what I do, which is, you know, I made a commitment to solve the problem. You know, when... When I think about challenges in my life, you know, I don't really ever question whether or not I can solve the problem. I just create strategies on how to methodically go through the different options one at a time until I solve that problem. That's what I did in this situation. And I think what I attempted to do was, you know, kind of drastically change my diet, um, I'm sure a lot of the GI stuff was related. In retrospect, I realize it was probably due to a lot of stress. But, um, you know, I did find a yoga studio. I did probably, you know, reduce my alcohol intake. I probably um, modified what I was eating, um, you know, probably stopped a lot of the late night pizza and, you know, Taco Bell and whatever else I was doing and kind of just stuck to a more simple whole foods diet. And eventually I did move through that period in my life and I did it. I took responsibility and I took care of it and I figured it out myself. Now, not, that's not to say that people who have medical diagnosable medical, medical conditions should, should not see a doctor and follow their doctor's instructions. They 100% should. But in that situation, my doctor didn't help me. And so I just, I took a different route and again, I, I think it was stress, it was lifestyle, and I was able to move through it and, and you know, find success on the other side. But it really was a key moment in my life because I realized, okay, you know what, Joanna, at this point in your life, your body is no longer getting better. I mean, you're practically middle-aged in your mid-30s, like it or not. I think the average lifespan of, a, of an American is like 76 years old. So... That's halfway is 38. I'm not sure if everybody realizes that. So your body's no longer like getting like, you know, better on its own. It's going to require a little more work starting in your mid-30s. And honestly, I, I think everyone should start sooner, but that's another conversation for another day. This was my wake-up call. And I started getting really passionate about what I could do to support my body to be better look better, feel better, have more energy, um, you know, live the life I wanted to live and prevent aging, really prevent aging. 
So um, the more research I did and the more I did in my own life, I just got really passionate about this subject. And I started learning about something called naturopathic medicine. And um, naturopathic medicine is basically uh, a, you know, a, a, a way of doing medicine um, that helps, that looks, that looks at the body as an interconnected set of symptoms and that disease is a, you know, a sign that the body is in an imbalanced state, an unbalanced state. And naturopathic medicine seeks to understand, you know, what is out of balance and how can we support the body in order to restore balance and, and optimize health and prevent disease. That's a Joanna Lehman's explanation of naturopathic medicine. I continue to further learn that naturopathic doctors at the time were only licensed in, I think, about 14 different states in the U.S., and um, that California, of course, was one, and, you know, that's where I grew up. So I was kind of more familiar with this type of alternative, holistic, integrative naturopathic medicine, but again, now... I'm in St. Louis. I'm realizing there's a great need for integrative, holistic, alternative healthcare, especially in Middle America. You know, you when you grow up on the East Coast, or, or I'm sorry, on on either of coasts, on New York or or California, you just assume the whole rest of the world is like you. That everybody's running around do, doing yoga and has ex- access to, you know, shamans or or you know whatever. And they don't like people don't even have access to like produce in a lot of, you know, states, fresh produce or yeah. So it's just unbelievable. So I got really passionate about this idea of bringing integrative medicine, naturopathic medicine, holistic medicine to the average person in a way that was digestible, no pun intended, in a way that people could understand what it was, access it, utilize it. And um, so I decided this is what I was going to build my business plan around. I, I really wanted to make my exit out of developing surgery centers with my dad and his company. And I wanted to create something for myself. And I enlisted, you know, the partnership of my friend, Chris, who I worked with at the surgery centers. And we developed this business plan, um, for naturopathic medicine. And I, as I was doing some research, I learned that Arizona was one of the States that had a naturopathic medical school. They had a naturopathic medical board. And of course, naturopathic doctors were licensed as primary care providers in the state of Arizona. And I really didn't want to go back to California, but I wanted to be in the sun and I wanted to be, you know, where this type of medicine was more widely accepted. So I decided that the business would be in Arizona and I got most of the business plan written. We got most of the business plan written and I quit my job and I moved to Arizona and um, I began developing this business business in earnest. 
one of the first things that happened when I was coming out to Arizona to research um, the environment and research, you know, the business is I actually randomly met two naturopathic doctors um, when I was out and about in one of my first visits to Arizona, and I honestly couldn't believe it. It was like lightning had struck. I think I was at a bar with my real estate agent um, because we had been looking at commercial real estate property or at least discussing it or looking at different cities in the greater Phoenix area to kind of determine um, where this business would be located. And I ended up meeting these two young naturopathic doctors out like at a restaurant or at a bar. And I just couldn't believe it. And they were engaging and they were charismatic and um, they were just kind of starting out in their, in their uh, physician-ness. <laughs> um, they had, you know, completed their medical schooling and they were, you know, probably working somewhere, you know, getting their practices started. And, um, but they were both very entrepreneurial minded. And so we had an initial conversation. I was like, oh my gosh, you wouldn't believe why I'm out here in Arizona. I'm developing this business plan. I'm looking, you know, for physicians to partner with, because you see at the surgery center model, that I had come from, we had partnered with surgeons. So when I was out here developing this business plan in Arizona, my thinking was, is that I would partner with the, I would partner with the physicians. So I was kind of very excited to meet these people. I, you know, big picture, there's literally thousands of naturopathic doctors probably running around in Arizona. There's a medical school for here. There's a medical school here. So they probably graduate you know, I don't know, 50 to a hundred physicians every year. So, I mean, <laughs> there's, there's naturopathic physicians running around all over the place here in Arizona, but I thought it was like divine, you know, intervention that I met these two doctors, whatever. So fast forward, we continued this conversation. I really felt it was, you know, destined that these two people these two young men, I think one, you know, they were like 28, 29, 30 years old, just out of medical school. And, um, but indeed my partner, Chris and I, we ended up partnering with these two doctors and, and creating, developing, uh, you know, putting together an operating agreement and, and a they bought into the business model and we went through the, oh my God, we went through this whole branding process. Um, you know, I hired a company that I think charged us $80,000 to to have a series of meetings with us where they basically were extracting our business ideas out of our brain and to put together like a proposed branding strategy naming logo branding strategy oh my gosh anyway we did this and we ended up coming out coming out with a beautiful document guiding our branding. Um, and the name of our company became Bodhi Body Integrative Medical Centers. Bodhi is the word for enlightenment in Sanskrit. So the idea was enlightened body, Bodhi Body. It's still, I think it's genius. Anyway, that's what happened. We started this business with these two doctors and, um, this was like, end of 2007, the beginning of 2008, I was, I found a location. We decided we would be in Chandler, Arizona. We, I found this location right next to Whole Foods Market. 
So I was going, I was kind of vacillating between should we be in Scottsdale? Should we be in Chandler? The demographics, the financial demographics were actually very, very similar if you look at them. And I thought, you know, being next to Whole Foods, Whole Foods customers are our target market. So, you know, you can either, when you're marketing a new business and you're trying to get new customers, you can either pay for advertising and be in a location that nobody knows where you are, or you can pay for very high rent to be in a location where everybody knows you are, and then you won't have any money for marketing. <laughs> so you kind of have to make one of those decisions. And we decided, because um, we were a new brand, a new business, a new concept, we would go next to Whole Foods. And that's what we did. And, you know, in my Again, I was trying to bring all the experience I had from the surgery center. So when we went to negotiate the lease, I really wanted to avoid signing personal guarantees. So if you've ever um, leased a commercial real estate building um, for a business, you will know that the landlords are going to ask that you sign a personal guarantee. So maybe your business, Joe's Hardware, is going to lease the space for the hardware store, but they're going to require Joe to sign a personal guarantee that you will personally pay for it, which basically means they can come after you if the business closes They come after you, they can sue you, you know, all of your personal stuff is at risk. And what I learned when I developed the surgery centers and signed, you know, dozens and dozens of leases is that you don't want to sign a personal guarantee just because, you know, so how do you do that? The way you do that is um, you don't take any money from the landlord. So what the landlords want you to do is they want you to lease a space and then they say, okay, then we're going to give you $50,000 or $100,000. You can, you can do tenant improvements. Tenant improvements is where you take an empty space or a space that was a bank or was a coffee shop and you got to demo it and remake it to be your clothing shop or your hardware shop or your your medical office, right? Those are called tenant improvements. And somebody's got to pay for those tenant improvements. And that does not necessarily include it in your, in, you know, in, they'll build it into your lease price. So they'll say, look, we'll charge you $21 a square foot per year for this, you know, for this space. And that's going to include $100,000 in tenant improvements. So we'll do the, the improvements for you. And then you can pay us back in your lease payment. But if they're going to expend the $100,000, they're going to require you to sign a personal guarantee on that lease. If you don't want to sign the personal guarantee, then you can't take their money. So that's what I negotiated is I negotiated this big, huge lease. And I said, I don't want to pay any, uh, sign any pers personal guarantees. I'm not going to take any of your money. I am going to pay for those tenant improvements myself. I was so convinced that that was the way to do it just because that's the way we had done it in the surgery centers, that I was going to take my own money and do all this construction and, and invest all that money and infrastructure into somebody else's building and that's what I did. Um, I'm going to digress now and tell you that when you start a business, you're going to need a lot of money, right? You're going to need a lot of money. Some businesses, and it's going to range. Some businesses, you know, you can start for $1,000 
and some businesses will cost you a million dollars or more. And then there's everything in between. And you have a couple of choices. You can either use your money, you can use someone else's money, or you can use a combination of the both. But the money's got to come from somewhere. And in this particular case, oh, and then what I would say is, no matter whose money you use, you should make sure that you use somebody's money that they can afford to lose, including your own. So if you cannot afford to lose the money that you are investing in your business, if you can't afford to lose it, then don't use your money. Don't do it. If you don't have, if you can't afford to lose your own money in this business, then what you need to do is you need to go out and convince somebody else that your business plan is good enough so that they will loan you the money. Somebody or an, so a bank or an investor or a friend or a family member that has some money to lose, meaning if they lose that money, it will not hurt them. It will not affect them. They will still be able to live their normal life. A friend, a family, an investor or, or a bank Use their money if you can't, if you don't have your own money, use their money. And I love this because you're going to have to convince those people that your business is a good idea, which means you're going to have to write a really good business plan. You're going to have to research all of the if, ands, thens, and what ifs. You're going to have to, you know, show that you've thought about, um, you know, contingency plan and plan B and, um, you know, you've addressed competition and new customer acquisition and marketing and and market forces and timeliness and, and, you know, a need in the marketplace, all of these things. And so if you can convince a bank, an investor, a friend or a family that your business plan is solid and enough that they'll loan you the money, then that's really a good sign. In this particular case of Bodhi Body, I did the combination. So I I did have saved some money. I had saved some money. I did have saved. I did have saved some money. (laughs) I don't know if I've told you before, but I went to public school my whole life, California public school. I had saved money and I had money saved and I invested all of that. Um, And then I needed more money. And so my, my business partner, she invested money. And then I convinced my dad that the business plan was amazing and he invested in my business. And then there was a couple of other investors that um, invested some money as well. The bulk of the investment was myself, my dad, and my business partner. And yes, could we all afford to lose it? Yes. Um, So at least we did that. At least the money came from people and entities that could afford to lose it. but lose it, we did. Spoiler alert. Uh, so back to the story of Bodhi Body. I wrote a business plan. We, we got our investors. I found these two doctors. I found the location. I signed a lease. I um, spent a bunch of money on the tenant improvements. Oh my gosh, I hired an architect. And then we, I mean, I don't, I can't even tell you, I don't even want to tell you how much money we spent on these tenant improvements, but what, I mean, it was cause it's embarrassing to tell you how much we spent, but let me just tell you, we like won awards for the design of this place. It looked like a spa. It was so beautiful. I'm going to try to find some pictures so we can put on the, on the YouTube so you can, you can see how beautiful this place was. 
and we, I hired a, um, a business administrator, shout out to Carla. And we, you know, bought equipment and I mean, it was just so exciting. Let me just tell you what we were going to, what we did at Bodhi Body. We had, I think it was 10,000 square feet of amazingness. First of all, we had about a thousand square foot nutritional IV treatment room. It was probably bigger than that. And we had like 10 chairs where people could come in and get, you know, anything from like a Myers cocktail nutritional IV to chelation therapy, which would remove, you know, heavy metals, toxins out of people's body. We could do high dose vitamin C for cancer patients. Um, I mean, and on and on and on. So we had 10 chairs, 10 stations with a nurse's station. We had this beautiful state of the art yoga studio. I was so passionate about yoga that we built in a yoga studio with showers. I mean, the whole ceiling was lit up. Like it was so gorgeous. This, the most beautiful yoga studio. Um, we had many, many treatment rooms. We had a colon, not colonoscopy. We had a colon hydrotherapy room with a state of the art colon hydrotherapy machine. Colon hydrotherapy is where, um, you know, a licensed therapist, um, introduces water into the lower colon, um, you know, for just detox and cleaning and, um, it's just a beautiful, um, way to detox the body. Um, we had treatment rooms for acupuncture, treatment rooms for massage therapy. We did, um, medically supervised weight loss for people. We did uh, bioidentical hormone replacement. Um, you know, we treated autoimmune conditions. We, we treated anything that anybody could walk in with. We treated it in a beautiful, holistic way. We did incredible lab testing um, right on site. Well, we didn't do the testing on site. We did all the lab draws right on site and, you know, got the lab results. So we did nutritional deficiency testing. We did heavy metal testing. We did uh, food allergy testing, um, you know, all, all the regular blood panels, lipid panels, um, you know, anything that you can imagine testing, um, hormone testing. Um, and that way we could really determine what, what was going on with the person, where the imbalances were, what they needed, how their bodies needed to be supported, what in their body, what did we need to get rid of that they were, that they had in their body, whether it was the wrong food, the wrong stress, the wrong sleep, the wrong chemicals, the wrong toxins. Let's get, let's get the things that don't need to be there. Let's get, move those out of the way. And then what do they need? What's missing? Are there nutritional deficiencies? You know, um, you know, are there viruses that we need to address? Is there bacterial infections that we need to address? You know, so such a beautiful process, such a beautiful process. And I was so excited because our goal was really, really to change people's lives. I mean, I remember thinking I am going to be the Starbucks of integrative medicine. I am going to bring this medicine to the world. I'm going to be, I mean, this, this location in Chandler next to Whole Foods was just supposed to be the first location. I mean, I was going to, you know, I wanted them to be all over the country. I wanted them to be in places where people really, really would need them. 
I, I mean, I, I was really going to change the world. And um, it didn't quite go the way I planned it. Um, I believe in the middle or right after I was negotiating the lease or signed our facility lease, you know, it was the crash, the stock market crash of 2008 and the world went to shit and Arizona, you know, specifically was really hard hit because there had been such a, like a bubble and we, but we were like, okay, we're just going to push on. This is medicine, you know, but mind you, this is medicine that insurance does not cover. This is medicine that you, that you have to, at least back in the, then, back in 2009, when we opened, you know, insurance didn't cover it. So, so, so what happened? So, so the stock market crashed, we were in a recession, people were losing their homes. Um, we opened in, I think, the late summer of 2009, and I, by the time we opened, I had already fired one of my do- one of my original doctors because he was a complete wackadoodle, complete wackadoodle. Like I don't remember specifically, but he was like borderline personality disorder, like very very disruptive, argumentative. Um, I mean, it was just, and I had to fire him. I mean, it was horrible. Like you have a business partner that's invested in your business. He's your key physician and he, you find out he's a wackadoodle and you've got to fire him before you even open. So then I'm left with this other young, you know, like 28 year old and you know, then I'm having to hire, find another naturopathic doctor. So we open and by Christmas, Okay, by Christmas break, the the second original doctor quit. He quit. He quit. Like, mind you, I've just spent a year and a half, two years of my life working day and night, investing my entire life savings, literally not earning a dime from this project, not one penny. And, you know, investing my whole life into this project. And this guy decides he can't handle the pressure. It's too much. It's too much. He can't handle the pressure. I can't do it anymore, he says. I can't do it anymore. And I, I remember sitting across from, I, I, he, I think he sent me an email and then we, we met later. He sent me an email while I was like in Mexico for a few days. That he was quitting. I was like, what? What? This is my partner, my lead physician, the guy who's helped me write the entire business plan, decides it's 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 too much for him. Okay, so here's like lesson number, I don't know if this is lesson number four or five that I'm trying to impart on you right now, but if you're an entrepreneur, you don't get to quit. You don't get to quit when it gets uncomfortable or challenging, or when you haven't slept, or when you have so much pressure, or when you are frustrated, or when you're worried, or when you're scared, you can't quit. This this is your business. I couldn't believe it. He was leaving me. I, I was like, oh my God. 
So again, as your as the business owner, what do you have to do? I mean, you you have to find you have to replace them. You have to find another doctor. So this turned into like a revolving door of naturopathic doctors recruiting and training and assessing and new doctors. This is not even this is not even counting the crazy marketing person I hired who was losing her mind on staff. And then my yoga program director who, it was, it was a circus. I'm just going to tell you it was a circus. Like I was so in over my head. I was so in over my head that I could not even grab any air. And all I could do, I mean, the money that all the money was like gone. You're just, you're, you're just trying to stay afloat. You're, 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 you know what I mean? You're, you're begging the landlord. Oh, then you're, then yeah. Then you're going back to the landlord, try to renegotiate your lease because you know, the stock market crashed, people losing their homes were in a recession. And I signed a lease when the market was high and now, and now, you know, the world, it's the apocalypse practically. And so then you're negotiating with the landlord and, 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 and seeing, Hey, can I have a few months where I, I pay partial or lower? Let's renegotiate. And then you're just, so, so, I mean, your whole life, my whole life, I don't want to say your whole life. It was my whole life. My whole life is hiring and training doctors, you know, managing yoga directors, uh, business administrators, marketing, marketing coordinators, renegotiating and negotiating with landlords about all the money you owe them, the thousands and thousands of dollars you owe them, trying to figure out how to encourage the general public to come and utilize your services. You're desperately just trying to figure out how to get people to call you, how to get people to walk in the door. You know, I had this, these, I, this, this idealistic idea of what, how, starting my own business would work, right? You, you have this beautiful, I'm going to change humanity. I'm going to change healthcare. I'm going to, I'm going to save people's lives. I'm going to change the world. But just because you want that, and just because you build this beautiful location and you hire staff and you have all of their best interests at heart. You cannot make people pick up the phone and call you. You cannot make people walk in your door. But you can try a million different things, which is what we did. I tried a million different things to try to get people to pick up the phone or walk in the door. And you're just, at at some point, you're just like throwing spaghetti at a wall. You're just like, maybe this will work. Maybe this will work. And this is when the charlatans and the, and the vampires start showing up. These are people that are willing to sell you any kind of marketing or advertising. They'll just show up at your door and they'll promise you the world. Oh, I can get you X amount of customers. I can get you this kind of, you know, return on investment. And so you believe them because you think they're going to save your life. And so you're like, sure, I'll sign a contract with you. So here's another lesson that I learned is don't pay anybody unless it's a percent of what they bring you, right? Like if you bring me a hundred dollars in income, I'll pay you 10, I'll pay you 10%. But when you own your own business, 
And and by the way, we were open from the fall of 2000. We were open from late summer of 2009 till like the end of the year in 2011. So almost two and a half years we were open. And I planned the business for a year before that. So this is three and a half years of my life. I never once made a dime. I mean, I never paid myself. I never paid myself a salary. The, the business was never profitable. Nobody ever made it money. I lost my entire investment. My father lost his entire investment. My partners all lost their investment. But here's what happens. In all of, in, in my business and any other business that's not successful, everyone else gets paid. Everyone else gets paid before you. So let's just count all the people and all the places that get paid. The vendor that did my branding, he got paid. The designers that designed my building got paid. The contractors that built my building got paid. The landlord certainly got paid. The electric company got paid. Um, the, the doctors got paid. All the staff got paid. All the supply vendors got paid. All the equipment vendors got paid. All the marketing companies that sold me marketing and advertising, they got paid. Every single entity that was associated with this business and most businesses will get paid before the business owner. This is something people don't realize that when you own your own business, you're basically buying yourself a job. And in most cases, you're paying to have a job that will pay you nothing. It was a humbling, demoralizing kick in the pants for me. I literally woke up every single day with concrete blocks on my shoulders. The stress never leaves you. The idea that everything rests on your shoulders, that you can't really count on anyone or anything to do or say, you know, or do what they say they're going to do. And they could leave you anytime. That the money's running out. There is no more money. You're literally starting to write checks, personal checks to the landlord to cover your rent because there's no more money in the bank account, in the business bank account. And you're scrambling because if you give up, if you don't continue, if I didn't continue writing those checks to the landlord or writing the checks to payroll and the business closed, I'm realizing what does that mean? That means not only did I lose all my investment, all my investors' money, but I lo I'm losing all that money that went into the building, all that money that I paid the contractors directly to build my beautiful facility. That's all just going to go to the trash, just flush down the toilet. So you get up every day and you try and you try and you try and you try and you deal with the shame and the guilt of not being able to figure it out and, and losing everyone's money. And eventually I had to let it go. I had to let it go. And I did. I walked away.
I walked away and I closed that business and I lost it all. Everything, all that time and money and other people's money, my dignity, it was gone. But I'll tell you what, there are so many lessons that I learned and I will never forget those lessons. And I really make an effort to not ever repeat those mistakes. And, you know, I will, I'll be honest, I went on to, you know, open probably 10 more businesses over the next 10 years. And um, most of them failed too. <laughs> but they fail less, you lose less, you learn more, and eventually you, you hit it. You hit one or two or three that work because you've learned what are the things that continue to not work? What are the things that are working? And then you start to zero in as you evaluate business plans and business models. You start to really see the pattern And I will, in another episode, I'm going to go into some of these other businesses and how we structured them and what worked and what didn't work. I'm going to do that in another episode. But um, in the last section of today's episode, I do want to talk about another very transformational experience that happened that showed me really the opposite experience of what I just described with Bodhi Body. And that's the story of my relationship with a company called Melaleuca, Melaleuca, the wellness company. So while I was, you know, managing and owning and operating the Bodhi Body Integrative Medical Centers, one of the things um, I was doing, I was working out at a CrossFit gym and um, I met a, a woman named Myrna and we got to kind of become acquaintances. We were workout buddies, you know, and, and she invited me to coffee and we got to know each other a little bit. And she would come to the, some of the events at Bodhi Body. And um, she was a great supporter, very, very enthusiastic, you know, emotional supporter. And, um, and I really, you know, grew to like and admire her. She, she was very successful entrepreneur. You know, she seemed to have like, she had a great life. she definitely did not seem stressed out. She seemed really happy and wealthy and fun. And I was like, okay, I'm attracted to this. I'm really excited about this. And eventually, um, she told me what she did and what she did was she did marketing and advertising for Melaleuca, the wellness company, which I had never heard of when she just, we went and had coffee and she shared with me what Melaleuca does. And in a nutshell, Melaleuca is the manufacturer of over 400 kind of consumable, high use consumable items that people use every day. So think things for your laundry, cleaning your house, you know, vitamins, supplements, hair care, you know, skin care, body care, um, etc. The things we use in our house. Melaleuca manufactures these things and Melaleuca has a commitment to um, being a sustainable, eco-friendly, no harmful chemicals, you know, caring about the environment, etc., etc. Great. 
<clears throat> and she does marketing and advertising for them. I said, this sounds great. To me, it kind of sounds like Amway. But dang, this girl is rich and she's happy. So like whatever. And the, you know, I thought, you know, that these products sound good because I was all into like non-toxic and avoiding chemicals. So um, even though I thought she was working for Amway, I, I set up a customer account and I began shopping at Melaleuca. And that's it. That's just where I got my cleaning products and my toothpaste and my bar of soap and my deodorant. You know what I mean? I, I hate shopping. So this is great. I just do online shopping, go to their website and it was delivered to my door. Simple. Fast forward to, I'm closing my business. I'm, you know, spending a little more time with, with Myrna and, um, we're in a, we, at this point, we're in a networking group together. She's there for Melaleuca. I'm there for Bodhi Body. And then, you know, ultimately I share with her that I'm going to probably have to close Bodhi Body, you know, and she's seen me struggle. She knows what's going on. And she said, you know, I, you know, you've been a customer now of Melaleuca for a couple of years and I know you love their products, but you know, we've never really, um, had a real discussion if, you know, to look at the business model. And so she invited me to go to a business luncheon to just hear about the business model of, of Melaleuca. And I rem and I did, I said, sure, why not? I mean, you know, what did I have to lose? So at the time they were doing these weekly luncheons at this Mexican restaurant. I forget what it's called. It was at this Mexican restaurant in Scottsdale. So I went there for lunch and I heard her and her husband um, share this business model of Melaleuca. And they just talked about, you know, the high reorder rate, the low prices, the high quality, um, the track record of the company. Um, I'll tell you what else. Oh, the low investment competitive prices, high reorder rate, the membership model, consumable products, financially sound, and a company track record. So they told me all of these things, and I'm sitting there listening to this business model, you know, and how people can partner with the company in order to generate residual passive income. And I think my mouth was just like, I was like jaw dropping when I was listening to this. And it was actually a very emotional experience for me. I, I was kind of stunned into silence. I think I was crying because just to remind you, I had just spent the previous two and a half years working my ass to the bone for zero dollars. I lost my entire life savings. I had been beaten down by employees and partners and landlords and the recession and I was carrying around, you know, cement blocks on my shoulders every day. And she was showing me this business model that, you know, where there was no investment, there was no employees, there was no landlord, you know, there was no, um, there was no really risk. I think that that's what I saw is no risk, only an upside because, you know, I think in any business, you when you develop as many business, businesses as I have, every business is hard work. Every single business is going to be hard work. But if you can do it without a, a, hard, a, 
large financial investment or, or without the risk of losing something, then you're ahead of the game. Anyway, so I, I decided I would partner with Melaleuca and for the fall and the, for the next like eight years, nine years, no, I would say eight years, I, I did build a Melaleuca business and, um, you know, I was able to create long-term residual passive income through that company that I still receive every single month to this day. Um, and for me, it was like this aha moment because I had just had this really, you know, horrible experience with, with, um, the Bodhi body. And then I had this opposite experience with Melaleuca. Um, and I was able to also help other people with Melaleuca because I thought, gosh, you know, I had the privilege of having this money that I was able to lose. And I had the privilege of already having residual income from my surgery center days in order to take two and a half years and work for free, right? And go through that whole experience. I had the privilege to do all of that. How can the average person, you know, really become an entrepreneur when they can't take two and a half years off of getting a salary or they can't invest, you know, their life savings, they can't lose their life savings into a business. They can't do that. And what I saw with Melaleuca is that anybody could be an entrepreneur. Anybody can create residual, long-term residual passive income um, if they participate in, in the Melaleuca business model. So... The other thing I did when I was working with Meluca is I I felt so I do still feel so strongly about their business principles and way they and the way that they set up their business model. It's like a win-win-win. And that's that's always what you want to look for in a business model. Does everybody in this scenario win? Or is it only one-sided or two-sided? You know, does only one side win or two out of the three sides win? Or is it a win-win-win? Cuz only when everyone is aligned to win, can it truly be successful? That is my opinion. And that's how it worked with the surgery centers. And that's how it works with Melaleuca. Um, but I have really found that the guiding business principles of the Melaleuca business plan, I use those in my life to evaluate business models. Um, and I assess them for risk. I assess them. I use them to assess viability um, and potential, you know, success based on these principles. I even created a, um, a business plan risk assessment questionnaire that I would allow people to kind of go, you know, if they had a business idea, they could go through this questionnaire and it would assess risk, uh, for them in that business. Um, you know, some of these things, for example, where's my, I printed it out. You know, things like, um, you know, is there a existing market for your business? You know, are you, are you starting a business based on something that a product or service is already out there? Or is it a brand new product or service that nobody's doing yet? Right. Um, and then if it's, if it's something that already exists, like if you're coming up with a new coffee shop or you're coming up with a new clothing store, you have to say to yourself, well, so how am I going to differentiate myself? You know, is, is, am I doing it better? Am I doing it cheaper? Am I doing it more convenient? 
Um, you know, am I creating a new brand or am I working with an existing brand? And really the way that would happen in, in like real, real life would be, am I starting Joanna's coffee shop or am I going to, um, license a Starbucks coffee? Right. So am I starting my own brand, Joanna, or am I going to license or franchise with an existing brand? Right. That's going to impact your risk. Um, what, you know, if it's a new company, there is no track record. If you're with an existing company, there is a track record. And what is it? Is it a good track record? Who's the management of that company? Who's your ideal, you know, customer? Is there, you know, 10 people in the world that want your product or service, or is there a million people that want your product or service? You know, like, are you going to be the person that sells, you know, um, high-end luxury jewelry, or are you going to be the person that sells a better, more absorbent, cheaper, more sustainable toilet paper? Like how many people are going to be buy high-end jewelry and how many people are going to buy toilet paper and how often are they going to buy it? That's the other thing is what you sell, whether it's a product or a service, do people need to buy it once or are they going to buy it again and again and again? And how many times are they going to buy it? You know, am I going to sell, am I going to sell candles, you know, or am I going to sell toothpaste or am I going to sell cars, right? How often is somebody going to buy, you know, get a new car? How often is somebody going to buy toothpaste? How often is somebody going to buy candles? You know, you have to think about, it's so much easier to, keep an existing customer and sell them more stuff than to have to go and get new customers all the time. The, one of the most expensive uh, costs in a new business or an ongoing business is the money to market to find new um, customers. It's much less expensive to keep an existing customer and sell them more stuff. One of the most important things I've learned is financial investment. As I talked about earlier, you got to get the money from somewhere. Either you're going to take your own money, you're going to find somebody else to give you money, or there's a combination of the two. Don't ever use your own money. I mean, unless you really have a lot of money and you've got some money to lose and you're really willing to lose it, don't use your own money. Use somebody else's money, whether that's an SBA loan, small business association loan, whether it's a tr traditional bank loan, whether it's a loan from an investor whether it's loan from a family member or a friend, use other people's money. Make sure that those people or entities can afford to lose the money. Don't take it from a friend if they're, you know, taking out their last $10,000 out of their savings account to invest in your business. That's not a good idea. But if you've got a wealthy friend who has a million dollars and they're going to loan you $10,000, that's fine. Because if you can't pay them back, it's not going to affect them, right? But people with money, whether it's a SBA loan, small business association, or a bank, or an investor, they're going to need to read your business plan. You're going to need to convince them of why your business is viable. And if you can convince them, they're going to loan you the money. And if you can't convince them, they won't. So it's really a good litmus test, you know, as to whether or not... Um, your business is viable if, if you can have somebody else invest the money as opposed to you. One thing that I think is really important too is people, when they people evaluate 
uh, businesses is, do you have a specific training or experience in this business? You know, if you look at um, the Bodhi Body Integrative Medical Centers that I started, did I have any specific experience or training in naturopathic medical centers? No. I wasn't a doctor. I wasn't a nurse. I never learned, you know, the only thing I learned about, you know, naturopathic medicine was what I learned on the internet. <laughs> and I did yoga. I mean, that was my experience. But I thought because I had spent the last seven years developing surgery centers that I could transfer that skill to a naturopathic medical clinic. It's completely different. It's completely different. <sighs> And so I had to rely on the expertise of my physician partners who, as you recall, quit as soon as it got complicated or challenging. So I really, when I'm looking at business plans or, you know, I always look and say, what kind of specific experience or training do you have in this, in this area? Does it mean you can't be successful if you don't have specific training or experience or education? No, but it just means it's way more risky and the likelihood of success is lower. So consider doing something that not only you're passionate about, but that you have training, experience, or education with. Let's talk about employees. You heard my experience with Bodhi Body and managing employees. It's a circus. It's like, it's literally managing a circus. So if you can create a business where you do not have to have employees, you're going to be winning. Because if you have employees, it's, it's, they're going to be, you know, you are at their whim. If they get sick, if their child gets sick, if they get irritated with you, if they're hungover, if they get overwhelmed, if they move, anything that happens to them is going to affect your business because they, they won't show up, they'll quit. They'll sabotage. I mean, I'm not saying all employees are like this, but as a business owner where, where you're investing your time and money into a business and other people's money in a business, you have to anticipate, you have to understand what you don't have control over and you do not have control over employees. Yes, you can fire people and they can quit and you can replace them, but the, the training time and the replacement time, the recruitment time, is it, time is money. And, and, and energy out of your brain. So if you can think of a business plan that doesn't have, or you don't require employees, at least at the beginning, that's um, really important. Um, the other thing that I think is critical is some idea of a membership model. So with Bodhi Body, we originally did not have a membership model right? People will come in and they needed treatment. We treated them and then it was done. But I don't know, about a year into it or year, let's say a year into it, I did come up with a plan that was a monthly healthcare plan called the True Health Plan. I thought this was one of my most genius things I've ever came up with. And people spent, I think it was $199 a month and they got unlimited access to the physician. So basically you had a concierge physician at your beck and call. You, whenever you came to see them, you were not charged anything additional. You could call them, you could come in and meet with them. And then you got two services per month and unlimited yoga. Oh my God. So crazy. So 
you could come in and get a massage and an, and a nutritional IV and it, all of that plus yoga was $200 a month, I think, or maybe we charge an extra like 30 bucks a month for yoga. I don't remember, but let's just call it, you know, what it is. Or the next month I could get, um, an acupuncture treatment and a, and a colon hydrotherapy and see, talk to the doctor if I wanted $200 a month. It was genius. Like it was totally genius. And I think I'm trying to remember, I think we were able to get like 50 or 60 people only to get on that membership plan. And I just couldn't, I couldn't believe it, but I knew that that was going to be the key to our success because if you could get, you know, 200 people on a membership plan, 200 people times $200 a month is $40,000 a month. And that would have covered most of my expenses. That's all I needed. I thought I could get 200 people. I could get 200 people to, to get a membership. I could never get 200 people to do a membership before we ended up having to close our doors. But I truly believe a membership model is key because again, once you get a customer, if you can make them a member, you're just, that's, that's monthly income every single month. So I love that I have been able to, you know, kind of learn these key success factors through my experience with Meluca, through my experience with Bodhi Body, um, to really have this evaluation method for new businesses and business models that I look at. And it's still, even knowing this stuff, I still continue to, to partake and invest in and operate some businesses that still, that didn't, that didn't work because you just cannot solve for all of the contingencies. You can't anticipate everything that's going to happen and you can't control what happens in the world. Um, so it's a risky business. That's all I can say. So I think I'm going to end it there. Um, kind of just talking about my experience with Bodhi Body and Melaleuca. Um, and I think in the next episode, I will tell you how I take a business plan and I evaluate it with these key success factors. And maybe I'll give you an example of a really good business that worked out. Um, but with that, I hope that you've learned something about business and entrepreneurship and how to think about what it's like to have your own business. If you found it helpful, um, or you think you know somebody else who's an entrepreneur and they might be interested in learning more about um, being an entrepreneur, please feel to share this. Feel free to share this. Um, like it. Um, you know, follow me on Spotify and Instagram. Send me a comment in the comment section. If you have questions, definitely put it in the comments and I will answer your questions. Um, and the next episode, like I said, I will talk more about how I specifically, specifically use these evaluation tools on new businesses and ones that I've been successful with in the past. Um, I hope it's helpful. I hope you learned something. And as always, I hope you make today and every day a good day to die.